Welcome back to Fan Wonderland, and it's time to fall down the rabbit hole with us again. I'm TJ, and today we have with us author of Codename Villanelle, better known to audiences as Killing Eve. Growing from one novella, Codename Villanelle, followed by novellas Villanelle Hollow Point, Villanelle Shanghai, and Odessa, all of which have been combined into a full-length novel. Thank you for giving up your time to chat with us today, Luke. We greatly appreciate it. It's a great pleasure. Hi. First things first, I'd like to focus on the initial novella, codename Villanelle. What inspired the name and story of the novella, and why did you choose a novella initially instead of a full-length novel? Well, the story of the thing was that I was commissioned by Amazon to do um, a series of short novels, which were to be called Kindle Singles. They would go out on Amazon as short self-published novels. This was, they approached quite a few writers to do this and I was one of them. And so they said, you know, have you got a story that you'd like to tell that would fit into a very short format? And I'd, I'd for a long time had this character in my mind. So I said, absolutely. So I, so that first novella went out, this was in 2014 as Codename Villanelle, which is now the name of the, the full-length novel that unites the four novellas. Um, sorry, it's a bit kind of convoluted, the whole process, but that's how it worked. So I did a series of these of these novellas about this character, and, and they were then, um, when the stories were picked up for TV, they were then united in a single novel, which is called Codename Villanelle. Uh, yeah, that makes, that makes sense. I think I'd picked up on a bit of that, um, an article that you sent with the, with the writing that's due to being picked up for TV? And you, you ask about the name Villanelle. Well, the, the, the character is, is a Russian who is then lives in Paris and needs to choose an operational name. And she sees it in a perfume store. And she's Russian, so she doesn't, she doesn't speak perfect French. She's not completely conversant with French names. And she, so she thinks this is just this is just a cool name and it sounds French. And so she just adopts it. In fact, it's, a, it's the name of a perfume. Um, and she thinks it's, it's a people's name. So that's, that's how it came about originally. What inspired the 12? And who are the 12 in the grand scheme of things? Well, the 12 are... The 12 are really whoever we're all most afraid of. The whole point about them is that you never really know who they are and what their agenda is. They're, they're shadowy. They're behind the scenes. They are, they are multinational. They're Russian, but they have American and European people in them. They're, they're, they're the New World Order. However you perceive the New World Order, that's who they are. They're the frightening people. Okay. As we pride ourselves on bridging the gap between fans and our guests, we had some fan questions submitted from some very dedicated Villanelle shippers, as they're known, which I know you're well aware of. One fan, Annabelle, along with the Villanelle group chat, asked, is Villanelle based off anyone or anything? Who was the inspiration for Oksana? And did you have any famous psychopaths or sociopaths in mind when creating Villanelle? I did research a lot of psychopaths, and I researched female psychopaths and and mass killers in the process of um, of researching the book. But really, she is literally straight from my imagination. She's much more a kind of fictional character in the, um, 
she's a kind of um, antithesis of James Bond, if you like. Um, she's the sort of character that can only really exist in fiction. Um, so she's she's not. And I don't think writers take bits of people and put them together like a jigsaw to create a character. For Villanelle, she just came to me literally of a piece, fully formed. So she didn't really, she's not really based on anyone. Okay. We've got some shorter questions from the same group chat. What do you enjoy more, writing fiction or dance reviews? Well, they're very, very different. Um, Dance reviews are hard. It's one of the hardest kinds of reportage you can do because you're trying to you're trying to put something that is very, very abstract into concrete words. Fiction, I love writing fiction. It's it's not work. It's a joy, to be honest. So it's it's easier. But I do like doing dance reviewing too. Okay. The next question is, does anyone you know have some of Villanelle's traits? I think we all know people who are pretty psychopathic i mean i talk to people i know and it's very clear that a number of people in their workplace are are certainly psychopathic they might they might not score a hundred percent on the spectrum but they're they're getting that way and um i think all of us have a tiny bit of villanelle in us but hopefully not too much yeah i'd I'd, I'd hope not too much (laughs) Uh, one good well, good question I found was if you could do something other than write fiction and dance reviews, what would it be? Um, well, I'd just take it easy, frankly. Um, I mean, I'm I'm a writer. That's what I do. That's what I that's what I think of myself. And it's both work and relaxation. I mean, when I sit down to write, I've, I've now written two Villanelle novels. And when I sit down to write it, it is, I love it. I mean, it, the time flies by and it's it's what I do for pleasure, to be honest. Yeah, I find the same with writing as well. One fan wants to know, will we find out more about Villanelle's parents in the next book? About Villanelle's parents? Yes. Well, there's quite a lot about Villanelle's parents well, Villanelle's father in particular in in the first, in Codename Villanelle. Um, we will, in the third book, find out, this won't happen in the second book, but in the third book, we will return to Russia and there will be a return to um, some of Villanelle's early days, Oksana's early days. Yep. Okay. Our last main question before we get back to the in-depth ones is if someone had told you when you were originally writing Codename Villanelle that somebody would eventually turn it into an Emmy-winning popular TV show, what would you have said? Well, to be honest, I always hoped this would be picked up for TV. And it struck me very early that these these novellas were actually episode-length stories. And I started writing them like that. And I told everybody that I could in television that, you know, you should read this because this, um, I think you might enjoy it. So there was, it wasn't out of the question for me that this would become TV, um, that we would end up with, um, with 
a fabulous scriptwriter like Phoebe Waller-Bridge and unbelievably, unbe and unbelievable actresses like Jodie Comer and Sandra Oh, I would have been, I guess, pretty surprised. Yeah. Yeah. So there, so there was a sort of hope that it would go into TV, but you weren't necessarily writing for that initially. I wasn't necessarily writing for that initially. I was writing. For, I was writing kind of journey length stories that people who were who were going to be on a train for an hour might sit down and enjoy um and also this was these were characters that i'd had in my head for a long time and um and, and here here was a chance to write about them and, and and really have some fun so that's what i did on to on to our further in-depth questions will season two of killing eve draw from the follow-up sequel or the first novel still the second, the second series of villain of of Killing Eve, which is being scripted by Emerald Fennell, um, is is going off very much, kind of at, at a tangent from the books and in its own direction, but the central relationship and the central characters are are the same. It's 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 Villanelle and it's Eve and it's their and it's their cat and mouse game. On that same topic, while we're on the topic of the TV version, Killer Eve, how much creative input did you have into how the show adapted your work from the page? As we've often seen how TV or film diverges so far from the source material. As you said about the tangent, are they trying to stick as close to the story as they can or take liberty with different parts of the story for cinematic TV purposes? Well, as far as I'm concerned, the, the novels and the TV series are two parallel but completely separate entities. And I'm, I'm very happy for the writers of Killing Eve to take it absolutely wherever they want and do whatever they want with those characters. That's, that's absolutely what I signed up for. At the same time, I'm writing the novels which are, which are threading their own path. And hopefully people can enjoy both and see them as, as parallel experiences. I, I think it's great the way that the um, the way that the TV show that the way that Killing Eve is kind of plotting its own course. I'm mean, that's that's um, I'm happy to see it do that. As to what my input was, well, at an early stage when before Phoebe went away and actually scripted the first series, she and I spent several months discussing these characters, talking about them with the production company. Uh, we, we had a, a writer's room of half a dozen people where we were knocking ideas backwards and forwards, working out storylines for the first series. So I was involved at, at the stage before the actual finalized scripts were written. And then, you know, there, there comes a point where the author bows out and I had the second novel to write. Phoebe had the scripts to write, so we sort of went our separate ways at that point. Uh, so, so it's more like they've got free range with the characters, but it's not like Game of Thrones where it has to be word for word accurate to the books, basically. No, I mean I've I've never insisted on that, and and they would, I'm sure they wouldn't want to do that. What works on TV and what works in in a, in fiction are so different; mm. they're two such different things. And I think you, as an author, you really have to understand that. And you cannot be precious or protective about your material. 
it's it's um, the novel is the launch pad for the TV series to go in whatever direction it wants, and I'm absolutely fine with that. Yeah. Do, do you feel that's probably a little bit of sometimes the issue with book to film, where a lot of them try a little too hard to stay to the books? Like when a lot of people say the book I, was better than the film? Well, I think, yes, I, th- I think sometimes you see um, a slavish adhering to the original material which just doesn't work because in for example when you're reading a novel you can go back you can say now now who was that and you could you could take your time as when you're watching tv or film it races past you you know it's um it devours plot and material at a completely different rate so really i think a film director has got to take the material and reinvent it for themselves um, and if you're if you're going to stick too closely to the to the original material, then you might as well just read the novel, frankly. But I think a lot of writers get upset when they see that filmmakers and television makers have taken their material and taken it to completely new places because that's what the medium demands. But you know you can't you can't that you're. That's that's not your your job to to demand that that film or television remain completely adhere to, to your storylines. Yeah, I think I came across that when I was researching the podcast. Is that I think in the first novella that you wrote, it was Villanelle went to was it Paris or Russia or somewhere? There's somewhere that I remember. I don't think the actual was Shanghai. Might have been that, yeah, I don't, that I don't remember. They actually went to in the TV show. From memory, no, is a very stark difference that worked. Well, that's very. I mean, I think that's. Um, it is just the complications of filming in Shanghai. Mm. They would have loved to, but it is just simply wasn't possible. And so that that storyline was transposed to Berlin, mm. and that's the. Uh, I mean, I won't. Um, I'm not going to put in any spoilers for people who, who haven't seen the series, but essentially that's the storyline that unrolls in Berlin. Yeah, I think that's where, like, when it takes it for the TV, like you said, that's where it's it's on its own sort of thing, and it stands out on its own. Even though it's based off the book, it still does the storyline, even though it's just in a different location, and it still, it still portrays the characters the same way you wanted to. So... I think, I think that's that's why it's become really popular is for that reason in that it's its own thing despite being based off a book, but it's still immensely accurate to the source material. I think it's it's absolutely accurate to the spirit of the source yes. material and to the two central characters, to even Villanelle, who are absolutely perfectly portrayed hmm. and exactly and very very faithful to the characters in the book. And I think a lot of fans would like to know, as it's sort of been alluded to in the TV show, but for those of us that haven't read the books, is there a sexual attraction from Eve's perspective? There's clearly a professional and romantic attraction from Villanelle, at least in TV version of the story, in that she's clearly bisexual, though it's not obviously touched on blatantly because it doesn't need to be. But is there a, 
attraction from Eve's perspective because we sort of expected that at the end of season one. And then, you know, because we don't want to spoil the ending for anyone who hasn't seen it, it's, it very much went in the opposite direction to what we were expecting. Is there a plan for that in the novels? Or Well, you, you have these two women who find each other more interesting than anything else mm. in either of their lives. They think about each other all the time. They're, they're the most vivid and alive characters in each other's lives. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to spoil where the show is going romantically and emotionally, but I think you could see from quite an early stage that they are completely fascinated by each other. And each plays a huge part in the other person's consciousness. Now, we also know that um, we hear Eve telling her colleagues that um, that Villanelle is fascinating and beautiful, and she's she betrays perhaps more than she thinks in the way that she talks about her. On the other hand, she's a, she's a married woman with a, a a very very nice husband and a job and a flat and everything that um, if she's going to have anything to do with with Villanelle, well, it's going to compromise everything that her life has 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 built up up to that point. So so let's see let's see where it goes. Not nice answer to the question. <laughs> <laughs> What inspires the sequel Villanelle No Tomorrow, which for our listeners is being released in 2019? And can you tell us anything about the second book? Is there a trilogy in mind, as you alluded to earlier, there's clearly a long-term plan? Or have you not put a limit on the series and we'll just keep going as long as you've got ideas? Well, I think at the moment I see the whole thing as a trilogy and the second book is written and it comes out at the end of October. And um, it is a continuation from the first book and it does take us to a new place in the, in the interface between these two, these two characters. And there is, all the ingredients are there and the story continues. What can I say? Um, buy it, read it. So it's actually coming out this in October this year. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's coming out in nice. three weeks time. Nice. Uh, uh, on to additional onto that part of one of the question we got as well, which fitted into this nicely. Is there an end game in mind for Villanelle and Eve and will Villain Eve as they're passionately known get a happy ending? That you can tell us without too much spoilers. Well, will Villain will Eve be endgame? That is, that's the question that the fans ask all the time. Um, all I can say is just join us on the journey and enjoy the ride. Good answer. <laughs> we were <laughs> expecting such a crazy reception to Villanelle from fans being that she's a serial killer, I've noticed you're in a group chat, which was in the article that you linked me in our initial correspondence, in which fans stand Jodie's, or stan, as a lot of fans will be aware of the term, Jodie's portrayal of 
Villanelle. And what was your initial reaction to them standing a serial killer that you created? Well, my, my reaction was they get it, you know, because the thing is that I want I want people to be appalled by Villanelle, but to love her at the same time. The whole point is that you see yourself um, falling for this absolutely indefensible character. And the, um, the, the fans are incredibly defensive about her. They, they, they don't want anything bad to happen to her because they see her as their kind of warrior. You know, they, um, she's theirs. They identify with her. And that's, that's fantastic. And yeah, I mean, she does kill people, but hey, you know, nobody's perfect. Yeah, I think that point was brought up when, when I was talking about with someone with the outpost. He's like the main hero of that, kills a lot of people, and people still love her. So I think I'm, I think it's the it's the way in like it's you got this beautiful, gorgeous girl that like she's killing people, but she's also sort of got a reason for it. It's not just mindless killing, like it's her job. <laughs> Yeah, and also I think you can you can kind of put a metaphorical spin on it that um, the the world is tough for young women today, and here is somebody who is sorting it out her own way, you know. Um, so, so she's she's kind of a heroine in that way. Um, but the the other thing is that Jodie Comer's portrayal of her is so subtle. It really is very multi-layered and complex and, and brilliantly executed. So she doesn't shrink from showing the terrible things that Villanelle does, but at the same time, she's completely human. You, um, she's she's psychopathic, but she's a human being with with a sense of humor and a sense of fun. She's very very easy. She's very relatable for a psychopath and a murderer. Yeah, I think that was especially when I think it was in the trailer with Jody waving their dead guy's hand. That was like something that stuck with everyone. I think it was like one of those moments that, like, yeah, I mean, is it just the sort of unhinged? What the hell is she doing? But the bye bye moment. Yeah, the bye bye yeah. one. It was still like it was just so perfectly Villanelle, even though she was such an so new to some people who had only just gone on the TV show. But it was still. It was like, okay, this isn't your normal serial killer. She's a little bit unhinged, but she does know what she's doing. She's not, like, completely dumb. She's actually quite clever and knows what she's doing. She's, she's, oh, she's extremely clever. And the victim there also is another woman, mm. which is um, which is a departure from the book, actually. But um, And this woman, as far as... As, as we know, is completely guiltless of anything. But um, nevertheless, Villanelle kills her and we go along with it all the way because Jodie persuades us that this has to be done. It's a, it's a brilliant portrayal. Yeah, you, you mentioned our correspondence, actually. It's been an overwhelming response to Killing Eve. Were you expecting it given the casting of the characters or was this a total surprise of just how popular it's been growing as it hits new countries. I knew it was going, as soon as I saw Jodie's screen test, 
and I knew that we had Sandra O oh on board. I knew it was going to be something special. I was always very, very confident of the material and the central idea of of Codename Villanelle and Killing Eve, which was the duel between these two women. And I knew that given given a fair wind, it, it would work and it would be popular. So, but nevertheless, it was amazing to see how it took off in the States and how, um, how driven by social media it was and how when it went out from the first showing in the States, it was, it blew up on social media everywhere, not just in the States. It was, it was caught all over the world and I had, and I was getting messages from people everywhere, certainly in Australia. Yeah, it was, I think it was, it was with BBC America, it's like they're two from two. There's like Orphan Black and now they've got Killing Eve. And it's, I'm not sure whether it's BBC America as themselves or the people they choose to run things, but they just consistently pull out good, good content and good shows. And although this one's based off a book rather than an original, it's still very much well written and it's they're just pumping out really good content was that like did you have a particular studio or production company in mind or was it like who approached you first well what happened was the um the stories were optioned and they were optioned by a London TV production company called Sid Gentle, who have who have a very good record for TV production here. They um, they then presented it to various broadcasters, and it was originally um, it went it went a long way up the ladder with Sky TV, and then the commissioning editor in question there left Sky and the project was not then picked up by Sky. It was then, although it had been, a pilot had been written and um, we had storylined it quite extensively and Phoebe had written a a pilot by that stage. So the whole thing was very well advanced. So by the time it, it was presented to BBC America, the the idea was very close to its final form. And... Um, they were very receptive towards it. They were keen for the, the program to to take whatever shape it needed rather than rather than they didn't want to impose their ideas on it too much. So um so it seemed like a very good home for Villanelle and Eve. And um and, and, and so it proved. It went out to a very small audience, comparatively speaking, in the United States to begin with. 600,000, something like that, which is tiny for the US, but it put on audience share massively and very fast. And also, as I said, the moment the first episode went out, uh, we were hearing in the UK from people all over the world who have picked it up one way and another. And who, um, I mean, fans are, fans have a nose for something that they think they're going to enjoy. And LGBT fans in particular picked up on Killing Eve straight away. Yeah, I, I noticed that. It was like I was tweeting along about the first episode and then, bam, it just went crazy high, like like you said, in a matter of matter of 
a matter of days, a matter of weeks, and it just blew up within... Because it went from the US first, I think, and then I believe it went to Australia or the UK, I think. It went out, it went out, um, I mean, it's just going out in the UK now. We're just halfway, we're halfway through the first season. But it's also available as box sets. So a lot of people have chosen to just buy the whole thing and binge. Um, But uh, the hardcore fans at all, I mean, everyone in the group chat had already um, seen it months ago. I mean, and seen it multiple, multiple times. Could quote entire scenes, and um, in fact, do they do quote entire scenes in conversation with each other and so on, which is wonderful. It's a real tribute to the writing. Yeah, I know. I've used quite a few, quite a few, and I'm probably going to get slaughtered for the pronunciation here. I say gifs. Others say gifs, but I've used quite, used quite a few of them from the show, even in just like random Twitter threads, because they're just appropriate. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Ma- mainly of Jody when she says thank you in the pink tutu. It's, just, it's such a perfect one for so many yeah. things. Uh, exactly, speaking of, speaking yeah. of Twitter, and we, we touched on this before the podcast, are you aware of the Twitter account Incorrect Villainy, which is based off a lot of, as some people would be aware of, there's a lot of incorrect or non-canon terms but have any of the tweets actually inspired you to actually make any of the scenes they've created into actual canon in the novels because nearly every tweet they've made is really accurate to the Eve Villanelle dynamic particularly the show dynamic and it's supposed to be incorrect scenes however they're eerily eerily accurate and super gay 99% of the time but they're so perfect to how both their personalities are portrayed. Have, have any of them sort of come across as like, yeah, that'd make a good idea in the novel? Well, the, um, I know the person that um, that has the incorrect villainy account, and they're very funny and witty and um, very smart and absolutely get the whole thing. And kind of the joke behind incorrect villainy is you presuppose an end game and they're living together and they've got a cat and they're sort of they're, they're a lot a lot of the setups are where they're um, they're lying in bed watching TV together or something. So so you eliminate all all the kind of problems of the plot and you just go straight to end game and they're actually getting quite ratty with each other. It's and it's very, very funny. Um, as I said, um, I, know, I I communicate with Dakota, who who now runs the site, and and they're very very funny. Is is there anything? I think there was one like where Villanelle throws the phone on a roof or something. Is there any like moments like that you're like, oh yeah, I could I could pop that in the novel as like a sort of nod to it, but it's still appropriate to the plot. Well, I I mean it's go it's going a long way ahead, but um, I think. It's also um, the reason it works is that in a funny kind of way, all of those exchanges are kind of true to character. Mm. That's why it's funny. But they're, they're putting these characters true to character in kind of crazy and illogical situations. So it's, um, I mean, it'll run and run. And um, I love it personally. Yeah. To... to, to sort of close wrap, we're going to do a 
semi-quick question around, around five questions or so. What is your favourite TV show besides Killing Eve that's currently airing? Is there anything that inspires your writing with that, or is there a show you particularly love that's not like oh my goodness. popular? Or? Well, I'll tell you a show that um, that I would recommend, which is um, which is fantastic, is a show called Fowder. Have you seen that? Fowder is it? Fauda is based in the occupied territories in Israel. It's it's absolutely brilliantly acted. It's a um, it's it's a thriller series. Um, F A U D A Fauda that I recommend. Okay. No, I haven't, See if you, haven't it, actually it's it. on. It's on Netflix. It's fantastic. That's what I'm watching at the moment. Okay, have you got a favorite film that whether it inspired your writing or? that you just enjoy or along those lines? I love the early James Bond films. I like, um, I like the kind of retro films from the sixties of characters like modesty blaze, little bits of that fed into, um, fed into Villanelle and Luke Besson's Nikita. There's a, there's a bit of that there. Um, similar, similar kind of, parallel storylines um but you know when you're a writer it's um i don't i don't watch huge amounts of stuff and i don't read huge amounts of stuff while i'm actually in the in the middle of a novel because you you kind of have to keep inside your own mind up to a point rather than get taken out into somebody else's story so at the moment, I'm kind of living inside the Villanelle story. Speaking of the of your writing, is there a favourite music or a musician that you listen to, whether that be while you're writing or that inspires your work, particularly with themes within the book itself? Um, I don't generally listen to music when I write. But I do listen to, um, I love Anna Calvi, Lana Del Rey. Um, yeah, uh, but again, you know, there's a lot of silence when you're a writer and that's, that's how you get work done. Number four is probably the most intriguing one. What is an who is an author that you'd most like to work with? Because there's a lot of authors that will collaborate at times. Is there anyone in particular that you'd love to work with, and like co-write a book with? Well, I already have co-written a book with my daughter when she was eleven. I've uh, we co-wrote two books, which were stage school stories for teenagers. They're called Stars and Stars Stealing the Show. And that was really good fun. So that was that that was that was the extent of my collaboration writing fiction. Is there is there like someone else besides your daughter that you'd like to work with? Or are you more of a solo writer rather than a collaborator? I think I think fiction fiction is a bit of a, a solo enterprise, to be honest. You know, uh, writing film scripts and TV scripts, that, that's a completely different thing. But writing fiction, it's, um, it's a solo enterprise for me. Okay. 
Are there any other major ideas in the works for novels post Villanelle that you've got? Like you said, Villanelle and Eve have been in your mind for a while. Is there like another genre or style of characters that you'd like to go with after you do conclude Villanelle? Or yeah, there is. I I do have a big thriller idea that will follow up. Um, that will follow up on on Villanelle and Eve when when I finally draw that story to a close. But I really can't, I don't want to spook it. <laughs> Are you having to give us any it. idea of what it's about, kind of, or? Well, it's it's going to be, um, it's, it's going to be lethal, it's going to be deadly, put it like that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> But you know, we writers we're very superstitious about talking about material before it's taken shape. So I can't give you more than that. No, that, that that's a fair call. Uh, now, a lot of people probably aren't aware that, as as the host, I actually live in Tasmania, and it turns out prior to starting this podcast, Luke and I had discussed that Luke had actually lived in Tasmania for a short time, and actually knows a bit about the state as well. Um, I'm not sure whether Luke wants to share any of that or well i did i did live in tasmania um i lived there for a year um a long time ago early in my career when i was working as a dancer i lived at at the casino there and did the show there for a year with a a bunch of with a fabulous bunch of people we had the time of our lives and um is the casino still there and functioning still there yeah still going yeah and is there still is there still a, a cabaret and floor show? I think there are cabarets from time to time. Yeah, but I, like consistently, I'm not sure. But like, has did that inspire your dance writing? I assume that you do. No, it was just it was just a thing I did for a bit, um, and it was it was a break from from doing um, more more classical dancing, and it was um, it was brilliant. I had the time of my life. I thought that might be a nice little bit of info for some people that just, I think a lot of people assume authors are just like these guys who sit behind a keyboard and write a novel and it's like, hey, there's actually some backstory to these people. Is there any like TV shows or anything that you'd like to write for or you more prefer to stick to like novelizations? Well, I'm writing fiction at the moment, but um, I, yeah, I will, writing, writing, TV scripts is something that um, I'd like to do more of, yeah. Is there a particular show in mind that you'd like to write for? Or? Oh, it would, it would be my own, my own show, my own stories, my own material. That, that could always happen. Just, just put it, get into a deal with Netflix. <laughs> yeah, that's right, yeah. So, yeah, we need some more original content, to be honest. So, well, that's what I think. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you once again for giving up your time to chat with us, Luke. And don't forget to subscribe to Fan One Land's Bandcamp channel, wherever you may be listening. Make sure to stay tuned to Fan One Land socials for more exciting podcasts on the way very soon. And don't forget, as Luke mentioned, his upcoming novel, which is Villanelle No Tomorrow, is coming out at the end of October. So get on it and buy that. And I've been your host, TJ. And it's been 
the podcast with Luke Jennings and we'll see you all in the next episode.